The Establishment and the Permissive Society The 1960s in the UK has been seen by many people as a time in which the British people gained a lot more personal freedom and were able to move beyond the restrictive beliefs and values of pre-war times. Relaxation of controls on people's lives in the 60s was thought to have created a more permissive society, giving people more personal freedom. This new freedom covered a number of different aspects of people's lives. Examples of government actions that brought about changing attitudes towards sex and marriage in the 1960s include the contraceptive pill, which was made available to women on the National Health Service, to married women in 1961 and to all women in 1967. The 1967 Family Planning Act set up contraceptive advice services. There was also the 1967 Abortion Act, which legalised abortion if two doctors agreed that the mother's physical or mental health was at risk, or if the child was going to be born with a serious mental or physical disability. In addition to these was the 1969 Divorce Reform Act, allowing divorces to be granted if the couple had lived apart for two years and both wanted a divorce, or if the couple had lived apart for five years and only one person wanted to end the marriage. Homosexual acts between men had been illegal since 1885. The law said that men proven to have taken part in homosexual acts would face two years in prison, although the law said nothing about homosexual acts between women. The Homosexual Law Reform Society was formed in 1958 and thousands of people attended its first meeting in London. There was fierce debate over the issue in Parliament. To get Conservative support, the age of homosexual consent was set at 21, not 16. It did not become law until the 1967 Sexual Offences Act. It was not passed to support or encourage homosexuality, but rather to prevent it being used to blackmail homosexual men. The clause in the law that said that homosexual acts had to take place in private led to continuing prosecutions of homosexual men. There was increasing opposition to the use of the death penalty in the UK. In the 1950s there were about 15 hangings every year. There were three notorious cases in the 50s and 60s that showed how attitudes towards capital punishment, or the executing of criminals, were changing. Number one, Derek Bentley. Bentley was one of two teenagers involved in a bank robbery in London in 1952. A policeman was shot during the robbery, but the boy who'd fired the gun was too young to be executed. Bentley, who was a 19-year-old with learning difficulties, was hanged in 1953 because he had said to his partner, Let him have it, Chris. He meant this to mean give the gun to the policeman, but prosecution said that he was telling the boy with the gun to shoot. Some 200 MPs signed a petition to prevent his execution, and a public debate in the media led to a long campaign to get his name cleared. Number two, Ruth Ellis. Mother of a three-year-old child, Ellis had suffered years of domestic abuse from her partner, but was found guilty of killing him with multiple gunshots. There was widespread public opinion against the judge's sentence, including a large public demonstration outside the prison the night before she was due to be executed. And finally, number three, Timothy Evans. Evans was convicted of the murder of his baby daughter in 1950 and executed. 
He was pardoned in 1960 after evidence showed the murderer was probably another man who lived in the same house and had committed other murders. The possibility of this happening in other cases turned many people against the idea of the death penalty. For a number of years, MPs had debated ending the death penalty. In 1947 and again in 1956, MPs in the House of Commons had voted to abolish the death penalty, but the House of Lords had rejected it. The 1957 Homicide Act said that the only crimes that carried the death penalty were murders of police or prison officers, murders caused by shooting or bombing, and murders committed while being arrested. In 1965, an Act of Parliament was passed that abolished the death penalty by hanging. This was for a trial period of five years, after a private member's bill was put forward by Labour MP Sidney Silverman. Life imprisonment became the alternative to hanging. This became permanent in 1969. Opinion polls consistently showed overwhelming public support for hanging throughout the 1970s. Censorship is the government limiting what can be read, seen, heard or done. Until the 60s, it was considered very important that the government should control the opinions and morals of the British people, as well as controlling what issues are not allowed to be discussed in public. The 1959 Obscene Publications Act changed this situation by ruling that adult literature was important for science, literature, art or learning should not be censored. This was tested when publishers Penguin were taken to court in 1960 for printing an uncut edition of D.H. Lawrence's book Lady Chatterley's Lover. This was a novel about an affair between the wife of an aristocrat and her husband's gamekeeper, which contained sexual scenes and explicit language. Penguin were cleared of any wrongdoing and the book went on to become a bestseller as well as leading to the publication of other pornographic books in the interests of art and literature. It was not always easy to prove that publications were important enough to be printed. In 1971, three members of the counterculture newspaper The International Times were imprisoned for printing gay contact adverts. Drug use had greatly increased during the 1960s, especially amongst young people. Mods took Purple Heart amphetamines, and people influenced by West Indian and Black American music began to smoke cannabis. Hippies used psychedelic drugs like LSD, popularised by bands like the Beatles. Cocaine and heroin addiction rose ten times in the first half of the 1960s, and the use of softer drugs like cannabis was much more common by the end of the 1960s. Rates of drug addiction were increasing in the UK faster than in any other country in the world. The Drugs Prevention of Misuse Act of 1964 banned the recreational use of amphetamines and the Dangerous Drugs Act of 1967 made it illegal to possess drugs like heroin, cocaine and cannabis. In response, the Times newspaper published a full-page advert declaring the law against marijuana unenforceable. It was signed by medical experts, Nobel Prize winners and the Beatles, amongst others. The 1968 Wooten Report, which suggested that softer drugs like cannabis should be legalised, as there was no evidence that they led to dependence 
or antisocial behaviour was rejected. There is evidence on both sides of the debate about whether Britain was significantly affected by the permissive society. By the end of the 60s, there had been increases in the rates of sexually transmitted infections and a five times increase in the number of rape cases. Surveys on the sexual behaviour of young people from 1965, 1969 and 1971 all showed that most young people were not promiscuous. In other words, they didn't have a number of sexual partners, but were virgins or married to their first and only sexual partner. Mary Whitehouse, a Shropshire school teacher, set up the Clean Up TV campaign in 1964. She had a lot of support and made 300 speeches a year, at which thousands of people came each time. In 1965, she set up the National Viewers and Listeners Association, which quickly had over 100,000 members, but didn't have any impact on television programmes that were shown. The establishment were the privileged elite in UK society who shared similar public school schools where parents paid expensive fees for their children to attend backgrounds or went to Oxbridge, the university colleges of Oxford and Cambridge. This was sometimes called the old school tie network. They were the men with the top jobs in the legal system, politics and the military. These people got their positions from wealth and inherited titles. However, in the 1950s, due to events like Prime Minister Anthony Eden's lies to the government surrounding his failed attempt to capture the Suez Canal in 1956, many British people were beginning to lose their trust in the upper classes. During the 50s and 60s, a number of scandals undermined public confidence in the establishment. Donald Maclean and Guy Burgess were UK spies. They defected, or changed sides, to the UK and US, USA's Cold War enemy, the USSR, in May 1951. They had both been recruited by the Soviet Secret Service while they were at Cambridge University in the 1930s. With their public school and Cambridge University backgrounds, they were both trusted establishment men but they chose to betray their country. This was kept secret until newspapers printed the story after it had been given to them by a Soviet agent who had defected to the UK in 1955. Then in 1963 it was revealed that their UK boss, Kim Philby, former head of MI6, the UK counterintelligence service, also with a public school and Cambridge background, had been secretly working for the USSR as well. However, the most famous of these government scandals involved John Profumo, the Defence Secretary in Harold Macmillan's Conservative government. He lied to Parliament about his affair with a nightclub dancer, Christine Keeler. She also had a relationship with Captain Eugene Ivanov, a Soviet naval diplomat and spy. Profumo had assured Harold Macmillan, the Prime Minister, that he had met Keeler and that nothing sexual had happened between them. He then repeated this in a statement to the House of Commons. 
when it was revealed that he had written an affectionate note to her, cancelling a meeting with her on Ministry of Defence notepaper, he then had to make another statement to the Commons, apologising for misleading them. Profumo resigned from the Cabinet and from Parliament. The scandal gave Labour's new leader, Harold Wilson, a 20% boost in the opinion polls. Harold Macmillan resigned as Prime Minister not long after the scandal was made public. The newspapers did not hold back from investigating every detail of the scandal. Keeler had gone to the press before the scandal had become public knowledge, but they did not want to print the story in case they were sued for libel, making false accusations. Profumo had been advised by MI5, the UK Secret Service, to threaten to sue newspapers that printed the story. The details became public knowledge as a result of the trial of Keeler's West Indian ex-boyfriend, John Edgecombe, who had shot a gun at the door of her flat, and the trial of Dr Stephen Ward, a friend of Keeler's, for providing prostitutes and living off immoral earnings. The press made celebrities out of Keeler and her friend Mandy Rice-Davis, and made much out of printing the sordid details of the scandal, including describing the party at Lord Astor's Cliveden estate at which Profumo had met Keeler while swimming naked. As Private Eye magazine put it, it appeared as if Macmillan and the Conservatives had never had it so often. <laughs>